Wednesday, July 4th, 2012, episode number 7 of Football Nation Today with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. July 4th, everybody. Happy birthday to America. It is Wednesday, July 4th, 2012, episode number 7 of Football Nation Today with Alex Streamer, available exclusively on footballnation.com and via download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows on uh, footballnation.com and the iTunes store. If you have yet to do so, hopefully you all had a terrific summer weekend this past weekend. Hopefully you are all gearing up for another great summer weekend, this upcoming weekend, a great summer week, a great summer day, 4th of July, some fun in the sun. Hopefully you're making the most of your time, and if you need a break from the family, the friends, the barbecuing, step inside, put on your iPod, sit by your computer, do what you have to do, listen to some quality football talk here on the Football Nation Today podcast. We have an action-packed show for you today on this July 4th, Daniel Hutchinson is a FootballNation.com contributor who wrote a very interesting article and well-read article this week about the NFL moving to London. Daniel Hutchinson is adamantly opposed to that move. Him and I went back and forth on that in the first down segment. In the second down segment, Wall Street Journal had an interesting story this week about the NFL struggling with attendance and some measures they're taking to rectify that attendance problem. We'll talk about that in the second down segment. Third down, it's our big up slowdown. Talking about the Dolphins quarterback situation from an on-field story. Ryan Tannehill not ready to start. How big a deal is that? Lions also extend their coach Jim Schwartz. And of course, uh, more Penn State controversy. CNN over the weekend released emails exchanged between Athletic Director Tom Curley, University Vice President Gary Schultz regarding the Jerry Sandusky sexual molestation case, should a death penalty be imposed on Penn State? We talked about that last week with the Sandusky verdict. I've changed my thoughts on that this week. We'll talk about that as well. Big up, slow down. Then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. The NFL is moving the start time of their late Sunday games to 425 to accommodate who, you ask? Well, above all else, the gamblers. Las Vegas. Even though the NFL would never admit it. We'll briefly talk about that in the Reamer rant. Quick schedule note as well, next Wednesday, July the 11th, there will not be an edition of Football Nation today. I will be on vacation, so after this week, we'll come at you in two weeks on Wednesday, July the 18th. It's Football Nation today. We're here this week, though, on Wednesday, July 4th. Happy birthday, America. Happy football talk. Let's get into it. We'll be back right after this, footballnation.com. My name is Alex Reamer. It is the Football Nation Today podcast and time for our first down segment as we speak with footballnation.com contributor Daniel Hutchin, Daniel Hutchinson. Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Uh, good to have you on. Again, we're talking with Daniel Hutchinson here on the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Streamer. Now, Dan, you wrote an interesting article on footballnation.com this week talking about the NFL move to London. Patriots owner Robert Kraft, of course, came out 
heavily in support of adding a permanent team in London uh, via relocation or expansion. He also said he hopes the Patriots are the permanent away team for the London game, which I'm sure he didn't run by Bill Belichick. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you disagree, Daniel? Wrote a nice article about it. Several reasons for why you disagree. What's your biggest piece of opposition to a full-time team in London? Well, my biggest opposition is that this is the NFL, meaning National Football League, and this really has become America's game, even overtaking baseball. And I just don't think it would look right for we also have a team outside the United States. Now, Daniel, I'm going to say I agree with you. I don't want a team to move to London. I don't want a team to move to Europe. However, I'll play devil's advocate here and give you some counterpoints to why I think, I, I think it's inevitable, actually, a team moves to London because it's all about business expansion, isn't it? I mean, we live in a capitalistic society, and business, and business always needs to be better. And the NFL, as you know, has pretty much tapped out the American market in terms of revenue. Isn't then the next logical move if business must expand, which it always must do in a capitalistic society, is the next logical move be a move overseas? Yes, I guess so. I mean, but if they were to move overseas, I think that um, it would make more sense to go somewhere else than London if they're trying to um, make the most money. Why is that? The games have uh, sold out every time they've been to London. They like Wembley Stadium. They like the accommodations there. It seems like the NFL would do quite well in London, would it not? It could, but that's only one game a year. Um, imagine trying to have to have eight games over there a year. Um, actually, NFL Europe I talked about in my article, and by the time the NFL Europe got was finished, um, there was actually five out of the six teams were in Germany, not, and there was no teams in London. That, yep, yep. I mean, I mean, that's certainly a very good point, Danny. You're talking with Daniel Hudson of FootballNation.com. So you would say you also think the NFL should look at NFL Europe the lack of success they had with the NFL Europe and say, you know what, yeah, one game per year is doing well in London, but I'm not sure how a full eight-game slate would do. Exactly. I mean, part of the reason that they canceled NFL Europe also was they were losing about $30 million a year. And how, would you, how do you think travel expenses would factor into a team locating to Europe? Would that be another, um, would that be another hurdle, in your opinion, as to why they shouldn't do this? Oh, definitely. You would have to have players traveling back and forth from the United States to, for the away team to be over there and for the home team in London to come to the United States to play and, and just all that. You're going to talk with Daniel Hutchinson, footballnation, uh, footballnation.com here on the Football Nation Today podcast. A few more questions, Daniel. As you know, the Buffalo Bills already play several home games per year in Toronto and may move there full-time. Um, Mexico City has been talked about, too, moving maybe some teams down there. Are you opposed to all international relocation or just London because of how far away it is in comparison to Toronto, Mexico City, etc.? I'm really opposed to any kind of relocation outside the United States permanently. Like I said, it's the NFL. It should be the National Football League and be America's game. So you think if the NFL had a home team in Toronto instead of Buffalo, you think the game would be more un-American, really? A little bit, yeah. How? Would, would that affect your enjoyment of the game? You would say, oh, that's it, taken over by the international markets? I mean, isn't basketball a, an international game? And they, they seem to be doing fine in America, as is baseball. Isn't is, is that, is that just shutting yourself off to expansion, just totally closing yourself and keeping yourselves in the confines of America, especially from a business perspective, which we know is what all the NFL owners really care about? 
That's true. They, that is all they care about. I, mean, I guess I am setting myself up to be a little bit close-minded with the whole idea of expanding international. No I, no, I mean, I agree with you, Daniel. I don't want a team moving over to London. I Personally, I say, here, I'll, I'll, I'll show you out on this. If you were a betting man, would you put money, more money on a team rotating to London or Los Angeles first? Because as I'm sure you also know, Roger Goodell uh, set out a memo about the, what a team would have to do to re re relocate to L.A. So if you were a betting man, what happens first? Team moves to London or team moves to Los Angeles and why? Uh, team moves to Los Angeles is in the United States. Um, it would be... And easier, kind of, um, less hurdles, per se, to locate a team within the United States than all the hurdles to have a yeah. team overseas. And what team do you think would move to LA? If you were a betting man again, what team would you say has the best chance of relocating? Well, I actually wrote an article about that, of the four teams that should think about relocating. And I think the top one would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who are the other three? Chargers, uh, Raiders are thrown out there. Who are the other three? Uh, they had Raiders, um, the the Rams, and actually had the Chiefs on the list, which is interesting. Why the Chiefs? Well, I just thought that um, you know they haven't done as well. I mean, they were a great team back in the day, but they haven't done as well now, and they're in a smaller market in Missouri, and just having an Asian stadium is some of the reasons I was thinking. All right, Daniel Hutchinson, of course, you can read him, footballnation.com, his latest article, Why the NFL Should Not Re Relocate to London. Close to 300 views last time I checked, so certainly generating great conversation. Dan, thanks for stopping by the show. Have a happy fourth. You too. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks again. Go out to Daniel Hutchinson of uh, footballnation.com for joining me on the program. As I mentioned with Daniel, I agree with his opinion. Ultimately, I don't, th I don't want the NFL to expand to London or other European markets. But I think it's a feasible scenario. It's something I think is going to happen in the coming years. And I also liked playing devil's advocate with him a little bit too because I think it made for a more interesting conversation. But big thanks again go out to Daniel Hutchinson for joining the program. And when we come back on Wednesday, July the 18th, we'll then only be a few weeks removed from NFL training camp, uh, which means we'll really ratchet it up, getting more guests from footballnation.com and other areas on the show going back and forth with me a little bit. So we're off next week, then back on Wednesday, July the 18th. But uh, here we are, Wednesday, July the 4th. Gearing up for our second down segment where we talk about the biggest off-field story of the week. I understand that the NFL moving to London, kind of an off-field story too, but I feel that's more relevant to on the field as well, which is why we stuck that in first down. Here in second down, though, the NFL struggling with attendance. Wall Street Journal talking about the NFL looking to rectify this issue. Here are a couple paragraphs from that article. I'll read them verbatim. Quote, with declines in ticket sales each of the past five years, Average game attendance is down 4.5% since 2007, while broadcast and online viewership is soaring. The NFL is worried that its couch potato options, both on television and on mobile devices, have become good enough that many fans don't see the point of attending an actual game. In hopes that professional football can mimic the wild stadium atmosphere typical of college football games, the NFL says it has liberalized its restraints on crowd noise. Stadiums will now be free to rile up crowds with video displays and public address announcers will no longer be restrained from inciting racket when the opposing team's offense faces a crucial third down. 
uh, to do. Here's the big story here, the league's decades-old strategy for encouraging people to attend games. The blackout rule has become counterproductive in, in some respects. Blackouts were meant to encourage ticket sales, but the strict guidelines are now looking outdated. Team owners have passed a resolution that starting this season will allow for local broadcasts of, NL of NFL games, even when as few as 85% of the tickets are sold. Under the new rule, each team has more flexibility to establish its own seat sales benchmark as long as it is 85% or higher. To discourage teams from setting easy benchmarks, teams will be forced to share more of the revenue when they exceed it. Close quote. Uh, so the NFL is going to change the blackout rule. And if you have a capacity of 85% or higher, if you're a team, you can choose to broadcast your home games. And I can also assume that you may have more liberty to lower your prices, more game day sales, etc. And in this economy especially, I think that's a move the NFL has had to make for the past four to five years. Because with this economy, the way it is, and it doesn't look like it's going to get that much better this fall, the days of people buying multiple game tickets months in advance are over. The atmosphere more is... You have some extra money floating around. Oh, let's see if we can get to the game this week. You know, ooh, prices are a little too high still. Eh, no thanks. Now, 85% or higher, you assume teams could be more liberal with their ticket policies. This could encourage more game day sales. You know, and I never really got the point of just because a stadium didn't sell out, robbing that market of watching its home football team. Because ultimately what happens, and we see it in a market like Jacksonville, to an extent at least, what happens is fans learn to live without the NFL on their Sundays. Going to a game is more is, is too expensive. Can't watch the game on TV because the stadium isn't sold out. So you learn to do other activities on Sundays that don't involve watching your home NFL team. But under this new rule, 85%, you assume mostly every team will get to that on a near-weekly basis. Almost by season ticket sales alone. Still show the games on TV and draw up interest in the product in those markets where interest needs to be drawn up. So I think that's a good thing. This is something changing the blackout rules that's needed to happen for a long time in this economy. As far as the NFL having an attendance problem, this doesn't surprise me. In fact, I am a part of the attendance problem. I'm a major football fan, obviously, but I don't have much of a desire to go to any Patriot game. I really don't, because the at-home experience is too good. Obviously, I've been to Gillette Stadium multiple times, but if you were to offer me any given Sunday, Gillette Stadium versus watching, well, now I'm in college, so me and a bunch of my friends go out to a, a bar and watch the games, uh, but, you know, even if I was at home, you know, watching the game at home, if you give me the option of going to Gillette Stadium or watching the game with a bunch of friends at a bar or watching the game at home, on beautiful HD TVs, I choose the latter 10 times out of 10. I mean, let's just look at the Patriots, and I choose the Patriots because that's the team I know most. Let's say they have a 1 o'clock game on a Sunday in November. If you live in the metro Boston area like I do, you have to leave your house at 8 in the morning to get to Foxborough because Foxborough is on the outskirts of town. There's only one road in, one road out. Traffic builds up like you wouldn't believe. 1 o'clock game to get there on time, get parked on time, you need to leave at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. And you better hope it's not raining or snowing or 30 degrees, or you're in for a miserable experience weather-wise. You also better hope your seat is good, 
and that you're not so far in one end of the end zone, so you can't follow the other side of the field, can't see what's a first down, can't see the defensive alignment, can't see the offensive alignment, so you better hope it's not raining, snowing, or 30 degrees. You better hope your seat is good. And then when the game's over at 4 o'clock, you're not going to get home till later 8.30 with all the traffic. So it's a 12-hour it's a day, essentially. And within that 12-hour day, you're spending hundreds of dollars. You're probably going to be rained on, snowed on, combination of both, sitting freezing 30-degree temperatures or below up here in the northeast and northern parts of the country. 12-hour day, you probably have crappy seats. You can't see all that well and either. And you're only watching one game. You have really no idea what's happened in the rest of the league. Whereas, let's say you're watching at home or you're watching out at a bar, eating some good food, nice warm atmosphere. Yes, you're watching your home team game, but you can also watch all of the games, keep track of your fantasy football players, keep track of the league if you're interested in that. Game starts at 1, you stroll into the bar at 12.30, 12.45. Game ends at 4, you stroll out by 4.15, 4.30. Game's a blowout, you can leave even earlier, and you have the rest of your afternoon, the rest of your night. You're not wasting 12, 13 hours driving to the stadium, paying hundreds of dollars for parking, sitting in crappy seats, and being shut out from the world. Never mind not even being able to see the other games, but really not even being able to see your game. You can't see the first down marker, can't see replays. You know, if you're on one end of the end zone, you can't see the other side of the field. Not a great experience. It really isn't. I mean, watching at home in the NFL is better, frankly, than watching live. And that's a problem for the league, most definitely. And unfortunately for the NFL, I don't really see a way they can fix it. I really don't. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Leave a comment on the show page. Email me, areamer at bu.edu. Follow me on Twitter. Send me a message, at AlexReamer1. What can the NFL do to make the at-game experience more enjoyable than the quote-unquote at-home experience? I'm not sure what they can do. Time for a third down segment, the Big Up Slow Down segment, where I, stay, where I state a statement and then say whether I agree with it. Agree is Big Up. Disagree is Slow Down. Big Up or Slow Down. Penn State should receive the death penalty from the NCAA. Last week when we talked with the Jerry Sandusky uh, guilty verdict, I said how I hope the Penn State football program recovers. It will be a nice story when they do recover. And at this time, I don't think it would be appropriate to apply the death penalty. Well, one week later, these latest revelations reported by CNN over the weekend, I've changed my mind. Big up. Penn State should receive, the beth- should receive the death penalty. CNN released emails between Athletic Director Tom Curley and University Vice President Gary Schultz after the now infamous 2001 shower incident between Jerry Sandusky and a boy from the Second Mile Charity in which assistant coach Mike McCurry walked in, saw Sandusky, reported the incident. In an email, Schultz said to Curley that they should contact Sandusky, inform Second Mile, and alert child's welfare authorities. Would have been nice if the police were on that list, but hey, it's a start, right? Schultz emails to Athletic Director Tom Curley. We have to talk to Sandusky. Tell me know about this. We have to inform the Second Mile Charity. We have to alert child's welfare so they don't send kids Sandusky's way anymore. Again, would have been nice if the police were on that list, but okay, Gary Schultz, 
after hearing of the incident, says to Curly, we gotta do something. Gotta talk to Sandusky, gotta inform Second Mile, would everyone there know what's going on, and we gotta inform the state of Pennsylvania Child Welfare Offices so they don't send any more kids to the Second Mile charity. Tom Curley responds to Schultz's email, saying, quote, After giving it more thought and talking it over with Joe yesterday, I am uncomfortable with what we agreed were the next steps. Close quote. So Curley's telling Schultz, I talked it over with Joe yesterday, of course, the late Joe Paterno, and yeah, you know, let's not inform Second Mile. Let's not inform the Pennsylvania Child Welfare Offices. Let's not do any of that. Let's, let's keep this thing completely under wraps. The less people who know about this, the less chance it gets out, and the better for the Penn State football program. And that's the key phrase right there. The less people know about it, the less chance it gets out, and the better for the Penn State football program. The Penn State institution was hiding sexual, a sexual molestation case for over a decade. The NCAA issues punishments to programs and universities for cars, watches, food, plane tickets, boosters, etc., illegal recruiting practices, but they can't punish a program like Penn State for covering up a sexual molestation case for over a decade? Really? That? cannot be punished by the NCAA, that is not worthy of the death penalty? Then what is? This falls under the lack of institutional control clause with the NCAA and should result in the death penalty. Well, Alex, how about the poor student-athletes there who had nothing to do with Sandusky? How about new coach Billy O'Brien has nothing to do with Sandusky? Well, that's how it works. The people who are there now get punished for what the program did previously. That's how it works. That's how college sports work. Every four years, and in some cases less than that, a new group rotates in. New players, new coaches, etc. That's how it works. You pay the price for what those before you did. It's not fair, necessarily, but life isn't fair. If this isn't worthy of the death penalty, then tell me what is. The NCAA has to issue the death penalty to Penn State here. If they don't, they lose a mountain of credibility to me. Seriously, you're telling me that Penn State didn't violate NCAA procedures covering up a sexual molestation case? They NCAA can't find something to bring Penn State up on? Give me a break. Give me a break. Big up or slow down. The Detroit Lions extend head coach Jim Schwartz. That's a great move. I say big up. Jim Schwartz improved the Lions in his first year, two wins. Second year, six wins. Third year, ten wins in a playoff berth. And of course, Schwartz took over the Lions after their 0-16 season four years ago. The one thing I'm waiting for in Jim Schwartz is he's a defensive guy, former defensive coach for the Tennessee Titans for many years. I want to see the Detroit Lions get better and get tougher on the defensive side of the ball. They have the offense, Matt Stafford, Calvin Johnson, the away of wide receivers they have. The Lions can score points with anybody, as they started in their postseason game last January against the New Orleans Saints. But in order for the Detroit Lions to make that next leap, they need a better defense. You don't need a great defense to win in today's NFL, 
but you need a defense that can make the big play when called upon. And that's the missing link for the Detroit Lions. And Jim Schwartz as a defensive guy, I'd now like to see him develop that side of the football so it can be closer to the offensive side of the ball. Big up or slow down. Reports say out of Miami that QB Ryan Tannehill isn't ready to start. That is bad news for the Miami Dolphins. I say slow down here. It's not necessarily bad news. In fact, it's perfectly normal news for Tannehill, a rookie quarterback, in early July, not being ready to start. Miami shouldn't rush him. They have some veteran options there. Yeah, they're not very enticing options. David Garrard, Matt Moore. But they're veteran options nonetheless. And in Moore's case, actually, have had some relative success in the league recently. The worst thing for a young QB's development is being rushed into a starting role. So no, the Dolphins should not panic. They should not view it as bad news that Ryan Tannehill isn't ready to start. Instead, they should view it as normal news. This should be expected. Time for the fourth down segment, the Remorant. What's getting up me this week? It's pretty tough to annoy me this week. July 4th, my favorite holiday of the year because it's my favorite time of the year. However, there was news this week that the NFL is going to change the late Sunday game to a 425 Eastern time start. Uh, boy, 60 minutes is never going to start on time now, huh? My goodness, poor people over there at 60 minutes. Um, the NFL moved the start times of the late games to 425 Eastern. Why did they do this? Yeah, they can run more advertisements potentially in their 1 o'clock games. Yep, spaces it out a little more. But the main reason why they did this is so you could place bets later in Vegas. <laughs> the later the kickoff time to the late Sunday game, usually some of the marquee primetime games of the week, the later you can keep the betting open with the sports bookies out in Vegas. You know, I mean, Vegas is Western time, three hours beyond East Coast time, so the 1 o'clock games are 10 in the morning. Some people wake up late after Saturday night in Vegas. You miss that betting window. Well, now... The 425 game is really 125. You give people most of the early afternoon to get their bets and get their stuff together. You know, or let the 1 o'clock games completely finish. Give people a 10, 15, 20 minute window in some cases. Reassess where they are. Put on those later bets knowing what they can and can't lose. What they have to win, etc. And my rant here is the NFL. I would love it. It will never happen. But I would love it if the NFL would stop pretending that they don't cater to sports bookies, that they don't cater to Vegas, that they don't cater to gambling. They do. That's what the whole league is predicated on. I mean, look at the Red Zone channel. It's designed for fantasy football owners, which is gambling. You play money. You bet money in fantasy football. Unless you're eight, that's what you do. That's what makes the whole thing interesting and worth playing for money. That's those are the people who the NFL caters to, the fantasy football owners, the sports bookies, people in Vegas, sports gamblers. That's who they cater to. That's their business. That's why attendance is down 4.5%. Because people need to be at their house, need to be at the bars. They need to watch six, seven, eight games at a time, keep track of their bets, keep track of the fantasy football. That's what the NFL, that's who the NFL caters to. They'll obviously never admit it, and that's why they'll never put a team anywhere near Las Vegas. But that's their bread and butter. The sports gambling market. And this is another move to it. Move the game back to 425. They can hide behind. Oh, we want to space it out a little more. Want to give the networks more advertisement time in the 1 o'clock contests. Yep, the NFL can hide behind that. But the real reason why they're doing it 
is catering to sports gamblers. <laughs> it's their bread and butter. And the NFL recognizes it. Now we just got to get them to admit it somehow, some way. Thanks for tuning in to the Football Nation Today podcast, episode 7 with Alex Reamer. As always, shoot me an email, areamer at bu.edu. Follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at alexreamer1. As I mentioned, happy July 4th. Hopefully you enjoy this day. Enjoy the rest of this week. Enjoy your week next week. I'm off on vacation next Wednesday. We'll be back at you on the Football Nation Today podcast on Wednesday, July the 18th, two weeks from now in which we'll be closer to training camp, bring on more guests. Thanks again. Go out to Dan Hutchinson for joining us. And uh, really get into this football talk. I'm excited about this, about where the show has gone thus far this summer. Going to take a week off, recharge our batteries, then great things for the second half of the summer. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next in two weeks on Wednesday, July the 18th. Enjoy your time.